everybody, we've got another Savage Gentleman podcast here with a returning guest, Ryan Palmer. And you may remember him as the adventure tour guide. That was kind of his main professional, though he's a man of many talents. He's, he's got a lot of stuff going on and, and now he is in the realm and I'm probably going to screw this up and you're, you may need to explain it because it's fairly complex. Um, but, but he's dealing in the realm of crisis management, getting his PhD. So he's going for his doctorate, um, crisis management and, and more particular complex systems. Is that a good? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it, to be more to be more specific about it, um, well, we got a little bit of time. I'll, I'll I'll kind of explain so it makes a little bit more sense. Um, I uh, I did uh, for a long time um, was doing what was called Phoenix tourism, and that's the um, the kind of pointy end of the spear for tourism. Phoenix referring to the the bird that, that comes up at it, and, you know, is. Uh-huh. is Mythical piece. Um, yeah, the mythical bird, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Phoenix tourism occurs post-conflicts, um, post-disasters, that sort of uh, thing. It's the rebuilding of the, the industry, opening Rising from the ashes. Sort of okay. Rising from the ashes. So back in kind of the mid-90s, um, I found myself in Central America and South America later, um, in the kind of later 90s, uh, opening up those areas for the very, very first tourists that were going in there after 40 years of civil war in that area. Um, it was certainly not a safe environment. Um, there was very, very little infrastructure whatsoever. Um, and so I, 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 I found myself doing a lot of very interesting things at that time um, to, to, to make that happen, to actually bring that about. And, mm-hmm. and now those areas have developed into some, some really beautiful uh, places for Joe Average to, to, to go do their, their tourism. We don't yeah, have to which- do some adventure. I'm guessing at the time you stepped in, no one would have dreamt of going into those places without probably a fairly well-armed militia just for fear of safety and, and other. In, in some areas, yeah. In some areas, for sure. And, um, and it, was, it, it was not a safe period. The, 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 the Civil War in Central America officially ended in 96. Um, we were in there in 95. And as most people who've been involved with any sort of uh, global security initiatives, um, uh, peacekeeping initiatives will know that it's the, the post um, the post ceasefire period that can very very quickly become the least stable. Yeah, um, there's a readjustment period where people who've been fighting and killing each other for who knows how long mm-hmm. um, are trying to be reintegrated into society and a society that doesn't have much left of in- infrastructure to receive them into. Right. Yeah, and well, so I mean, a great example. I mean, I, what we just saw in Afghanistan would probably be a pretty good. Um, Precisely. Oh, yeah. That's going to be exactly the same sort of environment that we were dealing with at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, But all these adventure tour companies thought, hey, look, Guatemala, they're they're, they're no longer in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's extremely reductive to say (laughs) they're no longer in a Civil War. They're not. But when people have been in that environment for so, yeah, technically. Yeah. Let's go and visit. Uh, let's go and visit Tikal. Let's go and visit, uh, you know, Antigua. Let's go and you know see these places that they knew were there, mm-hmm. that were beautiful and historical, and 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 very much the sort of thing that a tourist would want to see. Now, so I got into that um, in kind of a roundabout way that I don't need to get into. It's uh, we might get into it later, but really, what I learned in that was that I had to be aware of far more than just the ability to get a person. From one point to another 
and back. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly, I started making connections with people with um, um, the Foreign Service. Um, obviously, uh, obviously, different military uh, organizations that were op- operating in those areas, and found that um, that this notion of specialization uh, really limits a person's scope within which they can make decisions and operate and execute those decisions. And so, you know, I was a tradesman originally. I was um, I was actually an oil field, oil field sack diver, um, which kind of was the roundabout route for me ending up in these parts of the world. It's a long story. We don't need to get into it right now. Um, but I, I recognized that I wanted to get into to being able to make decisions at a more executive type level. And so that brought me to university. Um, and I studied business and a few other things and, and picked up a few languages while I was doing that. Um, and then sort of, you know, running my own businesses and that sort of thing and recognizing that, that, the specialization of business didn't provide me the ability to make the decisions that I needed to make. I needed to understand uh, the way the systems worked, mm-hmm. be able to understand why it is, why is there a, you know, what is Plan Colombia? That's the, that's the, the kind of pointy end of the sphere for the war on drugs. Okay. And, and how, how does it affect, you know, how does it affect Colombians? How does it affect Americans? How does it affect Americans' allies? Um, what is it that's really going on in those uh, in those environments that um, that are far more than just trying to stop drugs? You stop drugs, but what does that mean all the way down the line? Yeah. For example, you you start you start actively using force to prevent people from making a lot of money. Then you're going to get force in return, an equal force in return. So there's far more going on than just one scope. So I, I actually stumbled across uh, the notion of an interdisciplinary field of studies where you pick the elements with the help of, um, of, of academic um, direction mm-hmm. um, to, fill the, to, to fill in a degree that will actually get you to understand and work in the fields that you want to. Um, so you just made the whole thing up. Basically. Basically, yeah. That's, that's absolutely what it is. So you're like, yeah. I'm going to be a doctor in whatever the hell I want to be. Yeah. So you go in and that's you, and sweet, you just, man. Yeah, that, it, it that's is. What I need. It is. It's what I think most people need because the <laughs> idea is the, the idea that's, that was frustrating to me is I'd be dealing with someone who was really good in public policy, mm-hmm. but had no concept in how to deal with a crisis. Interesting. And you, is, that's and a you, bad combination. It's a really bad combination, but these people are like super eggheads in that one area, mm-hmm. but they have no, no scope of understanding outside of that and which limits their ability to even interact with the professionals who work in those fields. And I think we see that, right? And this kind of, this is a pretty good segue into the, the whole idea or the concept that I wanted to talk with you because we've, we've had quite a few conversations back and forth about this shit show that is going on that has been the last, you know, year, two years now. And um, it, we have been in a state of crisis for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, a, a crisis like far, far more than just the pandemic. Situation. Yes. It's a crisis uh, on uh, of multiple, multiple layers of the it's onion, a tiramisu say, right? of crises here. A tiramisu. Yeah. tiramisu. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, and, and, and so that you know, let us down some interesting rabbit holes, and I think we'll probably touch on those. But but what I was unaware of, other than like, hey, this is 
this is really messed up. Like what is happening here is just, it's off. There's something off about it. I don't know what, and I don't know why, but I have enough intuition. And I think that I can like, you know, understand logic and, and, and critical thinking well enough to say that like something is amiss and, and you highlight it. It's like, well, there is a very formulaic, well-defined way to handle crisis that has been established over decades, maybe even longer of research. And everything that we have seen over the past, however long this has been transpiring, is the polar opposite of that. And, yeah. and I thought, oh, yeah. wow, that's that's really eye-opening. I, I didn't know that that existed, but that you know sheds an interesting light on what we've all been experiencing because it has been a crisis and it, and it makes one wonder, well, why would you not follow the formula to manage said crisis? And I think one of the answers to that you already gave us is it's a very complex system. And the person who's really good at public policy is not necessarily good at crisis management, which I think we can probably all agree upon. I mean, maybe maybe there are some people that are really super happy with how things have been handled so far um, in, in both I mean, just taking America, for example, maybe you really like the way the the prior guy was running things. And you also really like the way that, you know, the the current guy is doing it. And you're just super happy with things. Yeah. And that's fair enough. I guess that's, that's possible. Enough. We can even discuss we can even discuss why that might be. There's there's clear um, academic um, principles about why somebody you look at and think this person is a is a otherwise intelligent person. Mm-hmm. But what they believe sounds really stupid to me or are they or, or or the other end of the spectrum might be are they blind to what's going on yeah and there 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 are academic theories that that support very cohesively and coherently as well why it is that that somebody that you might see something you like you and I have had lots of conversations. I mean, how long have we known each other? Three or four years? At least, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. At the least. last podcast you were on with us was like maybe 20-something. And so that's been been quite a while. Yeah, it's been a bit. It's been a bit. I mean, I was even involved with the moderation of your website, of your Facebook page for a little uh, while um, before things really hit the fan. Got it, crazy, yeah. It just got crazy. And uh, um. But yeah, we've had a lot of conversations and, and one of the things that I love that doesn't seem to exist in society anymore is we, we, ha- we in society, we kind of have this idea that in order to, um, if we understand somebody, we will therefore agree with them. Hmm. That is, in my opinion, within this concept that I'm going to talk to you about, it's called, bound, it's called bounded rationality. Um, Sorry, say that. In my opinion, bounded rationality. Bounded. Okay, got it. Bounded rationality, like bounds of rationality. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, in in my opinion, I absolutely have no problem. For that matter, I think it's an extremely healthy position to be in to be able to understand somebody, somebody's position that you are in complete disagreement with but you can understand it. I do it all the time. My three-year-old right. wants to eat candy for breakfast. I understand yeah, where it's right? from perfectly, but I it's don't It's a pretty basic it. principle. It's yeah. a pretty basic pr- principle. Most things that people do 
are understandable if you can back away from your from your own bounded rationality. And bounded rationality, basically, simply put, is that people will make good decisions always. Every single individual that you ever meet, even the moron, um, is making good decisions in their own mind. And the reason why that the, the reason why they believe this is because bounded rationality says that your decisions are made according to the scope of your understanding, your knowledge, your cultural background, your upbringing, um, what information you have available to you, what 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 reasoning skills you have picked up throughout life to get you to be able to assimilate that information, right. and so. Though you or you or I might look at somebody and go, "What the f- are they doing?" That's a stupid. That's that, that's a, that's a shitty decision. Yeah, I, I'm assuming your I'm assuming your audience doesn't mind uh, short words. You can say whatever you want to say, buddy. Okay, so you and I would look at it and go, "That's pretty fucked up." What's going on? Right. But when and we do you can all actually, the time, all the time, I, I I even look at some of the decisions I make. You know, five minutes since I've made it, go, "What the fuck was I thinking?" And all you need to do is add one little bit of information, one little bit of context, one one piece of something to that to the bounds mm-hmm. of your rationality, and all of a sudden your decision making process or your ideas or your interpretations of things change completely. You know, and, and, and it sounds so simple when you say it like that. You know, that that you would think anyone would be able to grasp that concept and apply it. I think the, the trouble lies that most of us and, and rarely can we do it all the time. We may have brief moments where we can get outside of our own head and, and, you know, maybe, maybe see things from a different perspective, but for, for the most part, we are so entrenched in our own bounded rationality that we can't extend beyond that to under, to try and like appreciate or understand someone else's. And I think that's, right. that's the issue where it's like, I, I see this all the time and, and lucky for you, you're, you're not really on social media anymore. And, and fortunately I still have to be a part of it. And I see this with, with, with Facebook arguments and stuff all the time where people right. will get on and they'll say whatever. And it's really easy to have that knee jerk reaction from your own perspective. How dare you say this thing? But then when I look at this person and I'm like, oh, well, no wonder he's saying that. He must have a very tiny penis. Of course, he's going to act. This of course, way. that's the only reason why anybody would act differently right. than me is because they're, they're they're compensating. It's just Freudian penis, penis envy. That's why anybody Clearly. would ever I mean, disagree with me. This is why me, you right? would make that comment because you have a talking very, about Doctor Douchebag, right? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason you would you would get onto our Facebook page and just start unsolicited talking shit is because you know you have a micro penis and that. You know, that's a thing. Yeah. I'm sure, guys. And, and that's okay. You can live your life that way. But a lot of dudes, I'm going to get so much shit like, oh, so what? You hate guys with little dicks? What an yeah, asshole. They, I right. thought this show was for, like, yes, for everybody. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm using I'm using that as an analogy. I think I think whatever size you're packing is is fine. I think that's no, the way. whatever size you're packing. I don't actually care to know, frankly. <laughs> I, I, I think I think God made you that way for a purpose, and that is perfectly fine. And I accept you for who you are. And it might um, be to compensate for it through Facebook trolling your whole life long. That was the purpose for which purpose. you were placed on this planet. Maybe maybe that's, that's right. your lot in life. Right. And 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 really, you know, I'm using that as as a as a stand-in for just some level of 
insecurity or some other behavioral pattern that it's actually pretty easy to pick up on why people do the things that they do. It, it usually stems from, you know, a, a fairly reliable experience, right? You can, you can look at people's behavior and be like, oh yeah, like you probably had, you know, this is what's going on just based on the way that you're, that you're acting. It, yeah, it can be. But, but one of the things that I found, and I, I don't like the word, but because it kind of negates everything that you said before it, okay. um, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying yet for me, I, I recognize, um, I recognize that often what I'll do is I'll, I'll say, well, that person's that way because of this. Mm-hmm. But when I back away from it, I go, no, 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 that's not necessarily true. I would be that way mm. because of this. Sure. It doesn't necessarily mean that that dude is that way because of the way that. No, I, I mean, I think that's that fair. Me, right? We're, 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 we're always subject. I mean, we, we don't have a choice but to make assumptions because we can't know the truth. Right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, based off of my own experience, based off of my own probable projection to some degree, because I can't escape that either. And, and my own experiences with other people and what I've studied and learned and, and understood, then yeah, I'm going to make my best guess and try and solve that equation. But it certainly doesn't mean that I'm, that I have it hundred percent correct. I could be way off the mark. And, and when you're talking about, we, you know, we were discussing this a little bit before this idea of like, you know, A plus B equals C, right. Or, or whatever we think the formula is, man, very rarely is it that simplistic. You know, there's so many variables and, and levers, as you said, being, that can be pulled and the outcomes are, are so beyond our comprehension that trying to 100% reliably say, okay, every guy who leaves a asshole remark on one of our Facebook ads has a small dick. I mean, you know, and say with 100% certainty, that would be insane. <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah, make that. That's right. It's it's kind of like this this notion. We were talking about this before the, the podcast started. I, I mentioned that there's a lot going on right now in, in, in the the role that I have um, that is pretty heady. Heady. It's really um, it, it's very high stress and it's very um, it, it's got my 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 two remaining brain cells. Um, Overheating is what They're basically is happening. Anyway, so you're telling me that dealing in crisis all day, every day, and studying it and delving into it is somewhat stressful and, and uh, difficult? Uh, absolutely not. It's easy. Yeah. I love it. It's, I may, as, I may as well shocking. be playing. I may as well be. Yeah, it's shocking. But the, the, the thing that I was saying to you before is, is that when I get that way, um, one of my, uh, I've noticed that one of my fallbacks is I kind of get this, I know everything, Dr. Douchebag uh, mm. tone that because I'm used to people coming to me to solve these problems. And so right. when somebody comes to me, just to have a conversation, you get, if I'm, if you're working 10, 12 hours a day doing that, your initial response is to do, and I'm a dude and, and, and dudes generally want to solve problems anyhow. Right. So, so you throw those two things together and I turn into Dr. Douchebag. <laughs> and if I was to look at somebody else, as being a douche. I think, well, obviously he's got a really, uh, you know, a really demanding job right now and it's stressful at work. And that's what he might just be a douche Maybe or he might be douche. really insecure mm-hmm. or he may be really insecure and he's covering for something. Yeah. But for me to jump at it and go, well, he's got my problem. No, my problem might, might be different. Yeah. Um, well, again, we, we, and we do, but then that know. goes right back to this whole notion of we all think we're special too. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, I mean, we can, yeah. There, there, there's a lot to unpack with that, but I think 
you're you're totally right in you know this this idea of you know we, we do want to as guys I do it all the time the knee jerk reaction is oh hey yeah I've got a you, you say something to me that maybe you're asking for help maybe you're not maybe you're just venting maybe you're just making a, a statement and it's really hard if I have some inkling of a solution not to just deliver that to you right and and, and yeah. I do it all the time and I've tried to be um, a bit more self-aware thinks in, in large part to my wife where she's like, Hey man, I didn't need you to like, give me a dissertation on this thing. I was just telling you about my day. I was like, Oh shit. I, I was kind of like, douchey. I was kind of a douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> Oops. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, that when you look at what's going on in the world right now, you, you see, you seem to see this kind of, bifurcation happening, uh, polarization between mm-hmm. people who, uh, who look at it and go, this is being done really well. Um, but you see that in politics as well all the time, right? You, you see, um, you know, in, in, the, in the U.S. context, you, you see, a, a, again, a bifurcation of people who loved Trump mm-hmm. and people who loved Obama. And, and the ones that seemed to love Trump hated Obama and the ones that loved Obama seemed to hate Trump. Um, and it's a very easy place to find a bifurcation happening. Um, the U.S. is a good example. It's got the, the, the this kind of it turned into a de facto um, um, two-party um, political system. Yep. I don't believe, from my understanding of the um, uh, of the the founding documents, that was anywhere near the intent to create two um, two two left and right kind of no absolutely not i mean the but that's that's how i think i think i'm trying to think and i can't recall which president someone who's smarter and and has a better understanding of history is probably screaming at the uh (laughs) at their screen right now but (laughs) one of the one of the presidents or founding fathers explicitly stated you know not to go that route and, and was like hey this is like the worst thing that we could do is make this a a binary either or you know type type deal like we need to have a few more options on the table because it's going to get real bad real fast and you know 200 something years later here we are it's, it, yeah it's kind of ugly you know i'm not saying we need to abandon the shit but it's not no 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 the, and i mean you look around and uh, you look around and uh, and i think it's very easy for people what in whatever nation that they're in to 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 look at the problems that are there and think that those problems are insurmountable. Mm. Um, the U.S. is a is a very large nation, and I'm not talking just geographically. As far as uh, as far as uh, population is concerned, it is. I mean, it doesn't compare to China and India. Sure. Um, but uh, but when you look at the actual scale scale of things, uh, it, it's up there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people to deal with. That's uh, and, and and fundamentally, um, if we look at the U.S. system, which uh, um, you know that uh, I was born Canadian, but have been but have spent most of my life in uh, in Latin America, Venezuela being one of the uh, the primary countries, Cuba as well, um, Colombia, and then of course Central America for the, those later. You know, so you've years. seen how well communism works firsthand. Oh well, that's a different topic altogether, <laughs> and uh, we can go into that one. Um, Sorry, but uh, but one of the things that one of the things that um, uh, one of the things that I think is. Um, is fascinating is that most people aren't aware, and even Americans, a lot of Americans are not aware of this, but since 1776, pretty much every every republic that has formed thereafter 
um, has based their republic on some semblance of what the U.S. system was, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's um, has created some semblance or some borrowed some aspects of the founding documents. Um, and so, and, and so for people to look at the U.S. and think that the U.S. it is in in a nosedive, I, I I think it's in a time of crisis. But the U.S. has been in crisis before. Mm-hmm. Um, been in crisis several times before, um, and that has changed things. But the U.S. is still there, and I think we should expect to see the U.S. to be able to figure this out, provided that people can step away from this need to agree with everybody before you understand them, mm-hmm. rather than rather than understand them and be fine with disagreeing with them, but seek to understand. Right? Yeah. And and I don't I, I think that we're we're in a position right now with social media particularly, which is incidentally you mentioned it earlier when I started my program, I had the, the director of the program say something that I thought was kind of remarkable. She said, um, as academics, your job is to seek every possible way to drink as far upstream from the herd as possible mm. and to look for every possible way to avoid drifting down that stream. And she said, and I want to make it very clear that the furthest way, the furthest point on that stream for gathering information is social media. Yeah, that is at so the very I, bottom. You are at very out, bottom. You're in the delta. You may That's as well right. be out in the every, middle of the ocean. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry, their dog, the deers, the cows, the pigs, and everything is shot in that water before you get to, uh, to that point in the stream. Yes. And it's surprisingly difficult to... As, to to stay away from from floating down that information stream because as you float down the stream, it's designed to be more accessible and easy to absorb. Um, and, not that it's, and furthermore, it's designed to be as as inflammatory. Like the stuff that it's making its way to you has risen to the top because it's now been preferentially treated because it you know the algorithm and the system is built in a way to prioritize those because it gets people going. Right. And so, yeah, I don't think people realize that like one, you're way down the stream, everything's shat in it. So the water is pretty, (laughs) that's the correct verb tense for that. Right. I think that's, that's the correct verb tense. Um, They have, they have shat, shat, shat. (laughs) (laughs) I like shat. Yeah. Shat works. Shitted, shitted, shitted. That sounds really I, I don't know. I think shat is a bit it's not, it sounds it sounds like I should have a little handlebar machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I mean a lot of the stuff that's just you know coming across your feed has been put there and, and and you know social media has outright I mean it's been documented that yes the the system is designed to prioritize those because that's what gets more people watching and it, it is it is you know, a, a, a system that, that feeds off of attention and it's going to do whatever it can to get more and more attention. And, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat hypocritical or, and I guess maybe not hypocrisy, but at least irony that this is also a platform that we are using to, di- you know, distribute this information that we're getting right, right now. Like, I mean, this is going to go out up on YouTube. It's going to go on Facebook and Instagram and, and all these other things. And, you know, it, it is going to get mixed in the same current with all the other feces particles and 
right. everything and that's, else that's coming down. I mean, that's an unavoidable evil in the sense that, that uh, I mean, social media is a tool, right? It's a tool to get information out very quickly to a wide, a, a wide array of people, as wide away array of people, to, as, as wide away, as wide away, I turned into Elmer Fudd there, look at that, <laughs> as wide array as possible of people, and, and therefore, like every tool, I mean, we could talk about, you know, guns, for example, right? That's a tool. You can't talk about those, guns. You're in Canada. Stop. You're about uh, to get arrested. That's true. They're coming. Yeah, they're coming the lights right go now. out. That's what happened. That's yeah, it. They're yeah. coming right now. Now I know. Well, but, uh, yeah. So if you see some hands kind of come over and grab me off the screen, <laughs> you know what's happening. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, so you talk about guns, right? And, and guns, certainly, absolutely can have been involved with some pretty horrendous things that have happened. Um, yet to, to say that they're not a valuable tool in, say, a police officer's hand or mm-hmm. a, uh, any sort of law enforcement, be it, be it domestic or, or foreign. Um, they're or a in- trained individual who's defending themselves or someone That's- who's going to put, try and put food on their table instead of, I mean, you know, right. it's super it, it, useful. Exactly. I can tell you firsthand, trying to kill stuff with a traditional bow and arrow it's real freaking hard, man. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when I was in Venezuela, we used to harvest uh, guinea fowl all the time with rocks. But uh, I'll tell you, it's, in a sling, like no, old school David sling. Like oh, just, you just, just throw no, just just a rock. Yeah. Because they're 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 stupid dumb birds. They're stupid, stupid, and they all flock together. They kind of cr- crouch together, and so all you got to do is throw it in the general direction, and you're going to get one. And they're real tasty. They taste taste a lot like grouse or pheasant. Nice. But uh, but. The issue is when you pick up a 410, you're not going to just get one. And so it's a tool, right? And, and so like all tools, they can be used to benefit, but they can also be used to, as, a, as, a, um, as, a, as a force magnifier mm-hmm. um, to, do, to do negative things as well. And social media is certainly one of them. The problem is that when you're a working professional and um, – and working towards an academic degree, um, the amount of time that there is for you to filter through the garbage and find the good stuff just really isn't there. And well, so the, the, and most of this information comes out of the primary sources to begin with. And if you have access as an academic to a primary source material, which for someone who's not in academia, getting your hands on these documents costs money. You have mm-hmm. to rent them. Mm-hmm. And so... So, so if you have the opportunity to go straight to the source of where this information is coming, it's heady, it's hard to read. Um, it, it takes a while to even understand where to find the information in mm-hmm. the sorts of academic documents. Um, then it is to just let it trickle down and pick out the little memes here and there that may, may not be true. They, they may also be misinterpretations of what is true yeah. or you know, well, and, and what you what you get along with that is every step of the way, there's going to be included a bit more bias and a bit more bias and a bit more bias. But, and, and that's not to be like conspiratorial and say, oh, here's what they're trying is. to do. It that is, is, I mean, there is going to be bias to some degree in the very first white paper that comes out. It's absolutely inescapable. It, it doesn't matter. You have to. And, you know, so even the white paper, even the science still has to be taken with some grain of salt to some degree. Now, we can't just disregard everything that comes out because it came from the, you know, hand to the mouth of a human, right? Well, that, that's, 
Yeah, that's one but, of the, that's one of the reasons. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. No, no, you're you're good. Go ahead. I'm getting really excited about what you're talking about. Oh, this good. Is, this Perfect. is good. This is good. This is good. Um. Oh, so he takes he takes his he takes his coffee. That is, is that coffee you're drinking right now? He takes I, his coffee slower for because he knows that I'm excited to hear what he's got to say, and he's oh, this is this is nice. Mm, I like. I'm just this. gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold you there just for gonna, a second. That's right. Just hold me there. That's yeah, impressive. Just, that's like impressive. That, that, I, I think I think that's a I think that's a I think that's a bit of a savage gentleman like like alloy skill that you just have there. That was yeah. cool, man. <laughs> hey, I like that. Good. I'm glad you were most people wouldn't wouldn't notice that that so yeah, that was cool. Man. I, I mean, all kidding aside, I, I find for myself, and, and you'll hear it in my voice when I get really fired up, I go really, really fast. And then I just need to like give myself that pause and that breath because it's just going to spiral into a freaking Tasmanian devil of word salad that <laughs> no one is going to be able to understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So that was it was a lot for me as it was for you. Um, but the this idea of you know bias coming coming down the line and it's going to happen. And we just have to accept that and, and, you know, factor that into our calculations. And like what I was saying before is not just, well, okay, someone, whoever wrote this had bias. So all of this data is now null and void. It's like, well, no, that's still useful data, but it's not necessarily the end all be all. This is the hard part that I think people don't quite understand about science is that as soon as it gets printed and, and put out, it's a done deal. Well, here's what the studies found. So, yeah, and that and that's that's a problem that we're living in right now. Um, the notion that a science can be settled mm-hmm. um, is ridiculous, because we thought we understood understood Newtonian physics, right? That um, a certain thing, it's either a solid, liquid, or a, or a gas mm-hmm. um, that uh, mass is energy, um, and that uh, that energy can either be created or destroyed. Um, we believe that for a long, long time as being a definitive science. We now know through string theory and quantum physics and so forth that that Newtonian physics doesn't always apply. Mm-hmm. And if we had put ourselves in a position where we, we refused to continue in that debate of proving these theories, I mean, they don't really understand what causes gravity. I mean, they understand that if a, if a, an object is large, it's going to create, it's going to, it's going to have more gravity, but they don't really understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is the one, it's actually one of the weakest forces, but it's also the one that governs our lives more than any other force does. And yet we really don't understand how it functions fully. And so this notion of the science is settled. And I, and I know that I might be ruffling some feather, feathers because that's a common phrase that is attributed to climate change, right? Sure. Science is settled. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is that as soon as that attitude becomes prevalent, permeating throughout any de- discipline, progress ceases. Understanding ceases to grow. If I, decide I, if I decide I know who you are and I understand how you work, um, we've got a problem. One of the things that, that's known, um, science, the whole scientific process involves questioning, mm-hmm. doubting, um, reviewing, 
Um, and every time that, that happens, new um, new information can be spawned, new new insights can be can can be birthed, new new ideas can be created. Um, and so, if I was to look at you and say, "Look, I've known you for five years, four years, six years, I don't know." Um, feels like I've, I've known you forever, but mm-hmm. so I understand Josh Tyler. I got it. at that moment the relationship that you have with that individual who you just put into that pigeonhole. This is that person. Mm-hmm. Not only ceases to develop for you, but you can also, when they're in your presence or within your influence, in, you can negatively influence their development as well. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the problem of pigeonholing friends and family members. Yep. And that's precisely what happens when you use that phrase, the science is settled for anything. That doesn't necessarily mean that you got to say that it's all bunk to challenge it. You say, yeah. okay, I don't understand this aspect of it. Let's poke into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's what I find really fascinating about complex systems theory is that all of these, everything that is around us is part of one big system. And and in order for us to understand how one aspect of that that's that that system affects another seemingly unrelated part of that system, you have to start looking at that system and its different stocks and its flows and what it's designed to create, or at least what you think it's designed to create. Is it producing that? Why? Why not? And then you can start looking at the different means. They're called system levers where you can control and change how those stocks and flows are so you can, in the end, manipulate what's being pumped out of that system. Yeah. I I mean, I think think something that's really important, and and this may ruffle your feathers a little bit because this is kind of your thing, but uh, to Ruffle them away, man. I love that. That's awesome. you know the, the whole notion. I mean, I that think sounded like great. a com- that sounded like a come on, man. Uh, I'm still oh, ruffling my feathers. Don't throw me. <laughs> That's right. No, it, it, well, I, I guess maybe I should preface it. This is not to take your whole life's work and diminish it or or negate it by anything. The the, the notion of trying to even understand complex systems in general to me implies a lot of, of hubris in, in us as humans and our feeble understanding of anything. The fact that we can try and make heads or tails of anything at all is, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, yes, we, we try and we do our best. And I think we come to some decent conclusions, you know, given that we're just, you know, a bunch of hairless murder apes, but <laughs> What'd you say? Hairless murder ape? Hairless murder apes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, kind of. If you look at the human species, like man, we're you know we we are both capable of some of the most amazing feats and some of the absolute most despicable things as well. But be that as it may, th- thinking that we can like, oh yeah, man, I can look at. You know, the way that the sun and the moon interact with the planet and the forces of gravity. And I can decide, exa- you know, and I can determine exactly how this weather pattern is going to affect this crop, which is then going to affect this share of the market and these people's bottom line for their business and therefore understand the, the um, propensity to violence and crime in this impoverished area. Because, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. Okay. Sure thing, guy. Good luck with that. Yeah. Go. I, go for it. Yeah. 
and 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 you know what? I'm go for it, Poindexter. You're gonna figure that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me yeah. see that chalkboard. So. Yeah, and, and the reality is that's a, that's a really good statement. And the fact is, you're right. You're absolutely right. In order for someone like me or someone or the people who I learn from and the people who they learn from in turn to say that, okay, we're going to get to a point where we understand the systems, particularly right now, um, technology is hugely limiting on our ability to, to really crunch the data that would allow us to understand the system. Um, we were talking earlier about systems levers. Systems levers are where you can get in and manipulate those systems, right? One of the things that's commonly known um, within those who study complex systems is or complex systems theory is that those levers are almost invariably counterintuitive. You flip them one way, thinking that the outcome is going to go in the way that you, that you plan it, the outcome actually goes the complete opposite way. And that's almost a given. Yeah. And the problem is that you don't know. It's kind of that, it's kind of that, okay, I flip it this way. Oh, but counterintuitively, it's going to give me this. Oh, so I should flip it out. But now counterintuitively, it's actually, you know, so it's kind of that, it's kind of that. You, and and that's, you know, we're, we're talking about interest rates, right? Interest rates is a lever within uh, within the housing market and the economy in general. But just one of the things about systems about complex systems theory is that you got to be able to to recognize that, like you said, we are just you know we are, are just white bald murder apes, and uh, and uh, or or maybe not. <laughs> Sorry, they, they we're just you and I were white bald murder apes, right? So so some so for us really. Some balder than others. That's right. <laughs> and uh, it's particularly this part. This is weird, man. Anyhow, but so for us to be able to go and say, all right, well, we, we understand this to the extent that we can control it. Well, we've shown time and time again that we're not capable of controlling it. 2008 was an example of that. Um, the, the, the Great Depression was another example of that. I mean, we look, at, we look at so many examples in history that we can draw from and say we don't understand these complex systems. Does that mean that we, we shy away from trying to understand them? I think the practitioner um, to, walk into a, to walk into a gym and see people, um, see advanced, advanced guys rolling, you would say, uh, what? no, this is this, this, there's no this, point. No point there's no point, right? But after, after years, you know, after years and you, get your first strike or, you know, that sort of stuff. And you start to realize that the more you learn, the less you actually know. And I, I saw a really interesting chart a little while ago and it, and it was just an XY graph and it says, uh, and, and, and it says age and what it is, is how much, so the bottom one was age, how much, you know, and the other one was how much you think, you know, right. And, uh, and that's the reality. Um, for, Where did it show for, the intersection? What is the intersection of those two, um, those two curves? It was just a, it was just a, a quick scrawling on a whiteboard. Oh, Somebody okay. was trying to I'm accept an idea. Like, what's, what's the age where, where they, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It should be, you know, probably 30 or 40, hopefully for most. Maybe. Guys, I don't know. I, I think. Yeah. Maybe, kind of, maybe. I don't know, but that's that concept. That concept is so very true, and for somebody, you know, for somebody to, to come away with, you know, their their you know their academic credentials and say, well, I now understand complex systems theory. That's like telling a black a black belt in BJJ that they've got nothing more to learn. Mm-hmm. I think a black belt is the one who's most willing to recognize, whoa, no, I've got as much to learn and more 
than I've come and what's behind me. Yeah. Right? Which and, I think that's the that's the utility in the study itself. And because I think on the surface you can look at it and you're like, ah, oh, look at these eggheads thinking they're gonna solve all the mysteries in the world or figure all this crazy shit out. No, you know, but I think you know, going through the exercise of studying it and recognizing, okay, man, good luck trying to control it and just predictably be able to, you know, say, okay, this is going to create this outcome. I think that's the utility. It doesn't mean like you said, oh, well, we just give up because we can't understand anything. So right. Just go back and and for me, games. yeah, for me, the, the reason I find it interesting is because what, what really moves me towards wanting to understand is, is the idea of, um, of global security, right? Um, why is it that certain areas are so prone to violence? Um, we want to pin it down on political differences. Um, we might even want to pin it down on cultural differences, economic differences. But all of those factors exist in areas that don't have endemic violence. So there's more to it than that. Um, and then the crises that spill out of those um, spill into other parts of the world. We look at uh, Syria. We look at Venezuela. Um, they had violent or political um, upheavals that all of a sudden they're pouring into the borders of, of other countries, which creates crises of different nature in those countries, right? Housing crisis, uh, you know, employment crises, uh, even just schooling. Where do you put all these kids, right? Um, and, and so you end up with, with the fact that when you look at something, it's not a siloed issue. And I've been watching people who would go down and deal with um, mudslides in Honduras and think that they could go in and clean up the problem and walk away. And it was done. But there's far more going on than just simply the mudslide. Why are those people living on that hill? Why is it that, uh, that the houses are built the way that they are? Um, why is it that people are even living in that region, period? And what's preventing them from recovering on their own? That's super interesting. Um, Going out there, right? And, and so, yeah. it, so it be, you begin to have to incorporate other fields of study to continue to, to consider a real solution. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I like it is because uh, I've learned probably, probably through very embarrassing uh, anec- anecdotal uh, uh, actions of my own that, um, that I'm really not as smart as I like to think I am. And, uh, and I think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm nowhere near as smart as I think I am. And other days I'm pretty dumb and I'm still not that smart. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so for me, by understand, by studying this interdisciplinary degree that incorporates, um, it incorporates global governance, mm-hmm. global security, emergency and crisis management, um, and complex systems theory altogether helps me be able to know who I need to surround with me, surround me with, surround myself with, mm-hmm. not Englishing real well right now, surround myself with, um, to be able to create teams that will, will be most likely, not guaranteed, most likely to affect real and sustainable improvements mm. in whatever the situation is that we're looking at. Um, crisis communications is a massive part of what, what I look what I, what I'm studying. Um, because I find that I've noticed in real life occurrences that, that what people believe is heavily, um, dictated by 
by the messages that they receive and how they receive them. Yes. And, gonna, and I'll pause you just really quickly. And, yeah. and, I, and I have to say that was a hell of an introduction for us to get to, okay, now here's who this guy is. Here's, who is. here's why we need to listen to him on all this crisis stuff to make heads or tails of, of what is actually going on. And, but I think that that was important, right? Because, you know, just right off the street, like, hey, here's some guy that knows some stuff about some things. We're going to listen to him for an hour. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I think it's kind of douchey, going back to the douchebaggery. I think it's really douchey of me to come in and try to try to present myself as some sort of an expert. Sure. Um, because fundamentally, what I'm learning is that it's a dangerous place to be, particularly when you're dealing with these wicked, complex problems that we've got all around us in our personal lives and elsewhere. I mean, particularly within the last two years, um, to be in a room where you look around and realize that you're the smartest person in the room. That's a bad place to be. You don't want to be there for all smartest. That's a worse place to be. That's a worse place to be. But but for me to walk into a room knowing how much I don't know, you know that saying you don't know what you don't know, right? Knowing how much I don't know to walk into a room and think I'm the smartest one there, I'm in trouble. And that whatever whatever decisions coming out of that room are going to be is problematic as well. And so for me, I find it very interesting that it allows me to, to, to be able to recognize what elements need to be brought to the table in a solution-finding practice, right? It, one of the things that I really appreciate is the, the very, and, and again, knowing you personally, you know, understanding that all of this is coming from a very altruistic place, right? Not just... Hey man, I want to study some stuff so I can get this awesome kick-ass job and be smarter than everyone else in the world or, well, you know, whatever. It's like, man, I, I think a lot of us as men today are looking around and we're like, things are not as awesome as we were probably hoping they would be by the year 2021. As you know, I, I think when I grow was growing up as a kid, I thought things were probably going to be different. I'm still waiting for my, I'm still waiting for my Jetsons jetpack. I'm still I was literally going to say Jetson. <laughs> That's right. We really dated ourselves here. Yeah, uh, we did. So, so I think we look at the world like, man, we're kind of going in a direction that maybe isn't awesome. I don't know. I can't predict the future and I can't begin to understand the complexity of the system. But, you know, just testing the, the, the wind direction, it's like, hmm, kind of stinks. So mm-hmm. what, what can we do? Right. And I think a lot of us ask those questions and, and for me, I appreciate like, all right, well, here is a guy that is getting up off his ass and, you know, surrounding himself with people and stuttering and studying and trying to understand the things that actually could make some kind of a difference. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm probably not going to sit in a room where I can influence and, and have conversations and, and make policy and do things like that with anyone else, at least not in, in, in the, the, the near future, right? You're sitting in there those kind of rooms. You're, you're actually doing that thing, um, which, which I think is helpful. My role is like, well, maybe I can at least get the information out in front of people. You know what I mean? I can use my skill set and well, ability. Yeah. I, I I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. Um, in the sense that the, the part that of the positions that we hold. Okay. Um, 
community building is uh, is part of um, is part of crisis management, emergency management, because crises are, are are managed and and crisis recoveries, disaster recovery is is carried out by communities, not by some egghead Poindexter that shows up and has all the answers. If it's going to be done right, it's done by the community that is affected. But that community needs to be built. Um, and that community needs to be self-motivated in a constructive direction. Um, and what our society is dealing with right now is the opposite of that, which is precisely what you're saying. Um, we are thinking that we can create policy that will fix the problem. Policy doesn't create self-motivated communities. It forces, obliges, even coerces people into doing something that might be contrary to their own better judgment, might not work in their particular community. Um, the, the idea of broad sweeping solutions makes no sense. For example, um, I'm living in Canada right now, um, and I was I came here inadvertently, and I'm here for this COVID thing. Um, but one of the very first things that, uh, that they were discussing here, we're going back to guns again, um, was gun control. Um, there was an incident that happened in the eastern, in one of the eastern uh, regions of Canada where there was a shooting. And immediately there was a sweeping, um, very authoritarian law. It was passed using a relic of the, um, of the monarch, the monarchy system from which Canada sprung, um, isn't designed to pass law of that nature, but it was used um, to basically curtail a massive amount of firearms that are here in Canada. And it was primarily driven, like in the, like in the U.S., uh, Canada is largely driven by the, the urban centers. The policies that are, that are created are driven by urban centers. And so you end up with um, people in Toronto arguably happy. I mean, it's, it's something to say, do you, you know, is it a good idea for people to have open access to handguns and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of firearms in a tightly compacted city? Um, there's an argument for, for saying maybe the policies in an urban center should be different than Northern Quebec, where there isn't anybody for a thousand miles and you have to fly wherever you go. Yet the people in Toronto decided, and Montreal decided, what gun control measures would look like in Chicoutimi, Quebec. Mm -hmm. Now, the reality in Chicoutimi is so very different that those laws make absolutely no sense from any way you look at it. But in Toronto, there might be some good justification for those specific laws. Now, I don't need to get into whether I agree with them or not. That's not a debate. The fact is that, that you're having distal communities making decisions, leading people to create policies that force other people into compliance with those policies that may make no sense where they are. Which, and that's the same sort of thing. Yeah, which so goes back to your notion of communities, right? Where it's like, well, your community needs to be your immediate um, surroundings impacted by this thing, not the right. entire span of hundreds of, you know, or thousands of miles 
in every way. Yeah. Well. I mean, there's some universal stuff that I think yes. we can all agree in, agree upon. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think going back to to the to the, to the thought that I had as you were talking about that you'll never occupy a place of making policy. Um, I actually think you occupy occupy people such as you occupy a more powerful position than somebody who can create a policy that obliges people to do something that may not make any sense to them. Hmm. Um, you end up people who create policy face the probability, not the possibility, the probability of policy resistance, which we talked about earlier. Whereas somebody who is like you, who is a community builder, you are throwing ideas out there and allowing people to, to internalize those ideas, make them their own, and move in a direction that makes sense to them in their own particular context within the realms of their own bounded rationality. That is building people. Creating policy is forcing people. Controlling. Yeah, you're controlling. Is controlling people. And so in, in the, the modern stance of, of community building, of policy making, of, of global governance, is this notion of granular governance, um, community driven policies, mm -hmm. behaviors, that sort of thing. And that is something that, that, uh, that community builders such as yourself already seem to grasp. Acada academia and government is trying to catch up and figure it out. How well, do you get... I and so who wields more power? I don't know that they will, though, because no, you're, they're, they're going, you know, the academia and, and governance have found themselves, you know, on the other end of the spectrum where they're wielding all the power. They're not going to relinquish that, even, even if it is, you know, what, what is ostensibly, the, you know, or rather if it's what is arguably the best thing for, for everyone, right? Because it's not in their own best interest. And again, it's really hard to, to escape our own bias. And it's like, well, yeah, I could take some of the food off of my table so that other people have it, but it's already sitting here and that's a lot of work and it smells really good. So I'm just going to leave it here and I'm sure they'll be okay. You know, yeah. maybe I can, when I'm done with it, I'll scrape the plate and they can, you know, they can, they can take all the scraps and handle that. But human nature is, you're, you're really going against the grain to think that the people in these positions are going to. And they won't. They're, they're, they're not right. They, so then they won't. They're, they're, it's like, Sorry, I'm, you, you've got a thought and I want to hear that. Yeah. Well, there's two questions that I want to want to go into because I think you may have at least some answers, not all the answers. I, I hope maybe you do. It would be awesome if you did. But um, one of the things that I, that I want to walk away with, not only for myself, but for our listeners is these tenets of crisis management so that we can better manage crisis in our own lives because we're going to see them, whether they're big or small or whatever. Um, and I think as men, leaders of our household or our community or whatever, we, we find ourselves in a position of leadership. How do we communicate a crisis um, or through a crisis or, or what have you? And then this idea of community building, you know, man, how, how can we tilt the scales back and, and, and bring things kind of to that, to that sphere as opposed mm -hmm. to, Sending outsourcing everything all the time, which is where what has gotten us to the place we're in right now. It's just like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. We'll just vote a guy and let him handle it. And I'm sure he'll he'll keep my best interests in mind. He's not going to pad his 
his bank account or, or you know, trade some stocks to, to get ahead or make policies around that? Certainly not. Yeah, well, I think I, I don't know if I have any answers, but I certainly have some thoughts. Um, the I think the, the first thing that um, we're discussing a little bit um, as far as, you know, community building and, and so forth is concerned. There, there's one. I'm going to say this, though, I'm, it's negating something that I said earlier. That uh, that science is a um, is never a um, uh, is never a closed debate, right? Or is never settled. Um, so so I'm I'm gonna kind of negate this, but I'm gonna leave a window open to say that there might be more to learn. But to the present, what seems to be a uh, a commonly agreed upon theme when it comes to crisis recovery is that most people would would think that. Those who recover the quickest from uh, from a true disaster are those who have economic um, resources to pull from. Um, that's why uh, all of these uh, these different agencies, uh, NGOs, um, uh, church, you know, religious organizations, uh, different charitable organizations will often throw money. Talk about how much money they've donated to a particular thing, and certainly that helps. I mean, if you've got a lot of money and you've got a lot of resources. Um, you're going to be in a position where you're probably going to build your house quicker than other people, possibly. But what they've actually found through the through pretty extensive uh, studies, the academic literature points to a, another factor that is actually far, far more a predictable determinant um, measuring a, an individual or a community or even a society's ability to recover from a, from a devastating event whatever nature it might be. And that isn't economic capital. It's social capital. Hmm. It's roughly, crudely, crudely explained. It's who you know and how far you can reach through those, you know, those six, six, uh, six levels of separation to, to Kevin Bacon type thing. Mm -hmm. It's the people who have spent and invested in that, in the acquisition of that capital that recover immeasurably faster than people who are even wealthy um, relative to their to their surrounding counterparts and and so when preparing for crisis which we all should be doing because life is just one string of crises after another um, for us to think that we're immune to that is incredibly um, either naive or not self-reflective because if any, every single person, if they take five minutes to self-reflect, to, to introspect, they're going to realize they have gone through some pretty heavy crises. And it's those things that they, when you recover from them that make you into an interesting person, sure. right? And also is the sort of thing that makes you think, man, I, I pulled through that with the right, with the right mindset, right? Um, and so as we go through our lives, we should be not paranoid in preparing for crisis. But we should just recognize that it's an inevitability. It's going to happen. At some point, we're going to lose our job. It's going to happen. Very, very seldom ever, let alone now, in the gig economy that we're all living in, um, should we really expect to be able to spend 25, 30, 35 years in the same job or even the same profession or trade, right? I started out as a, I started out as a, uh, as a professional athlete. Then I turned to the oil field as a uh, as an oil field saturation diver. Um, then from there, I was a merchant mariner navigator, 
And from there, I was in tourism. And then from tourism, I was in foreign affairs and other things. And, and now I'm in major reconstruction and, and, um, and infrastructure development, right? And that's actually the protect for a correct term for it. it's not a douchey thing for me to throw the word major on front of it. It's okay. That's <laughs> just what the, the term is. Um, and, uh, which is very closely, all of this is involved with, with what, you know, what I'm studying. And so if I look back in my life, I realized that most of those career changes didn't happen just because I woke up one morning and said, Hey, I want to do this. It was because some form of crisis entered. Um, I either realized that I wasn't suited for it or, um, I hated it or, um, the business closed or the economic conditions changed so that my business didn't work the way I wanted it to. And those are all crises that are heavy to go through for anybody who really is doing or trying to anyhow. And so when we're, when we're looking at life, we need to inherently accept the fact that crisis, crisis is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And understanding the principles of emergency and crisis management and, uh, and disaster recovery is the primary tool that is proven to be, as far as we understand it so far, the number one factor that will determine how quickly you can recover from any crisis. And that is your social capital. We all spend a lot of time acquiring things, acquiring, I mean, I, I mean, I know within, uh, within this community, there's, there's probably a fair amount of preppers. Um, there's probably a fair amount of outdoorsmen who, who very much like myself, I, I, you know, it's something that I enjoy doing is, you know, bushcraft, camping, you know, so, so, um, uh, what's the word? Self, um, self-reliance, survival, self-reliance, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we all will spend money in that in some way, shape or form. Everybody does. Everybody tries to save money. Everybody, you know, might go shopping once a week rather than every day. Right. But very few of us, particularly men, particularly men, unfortunately spend much time building our social capital, reaching out and making connections with people who might not be of our same help, people who would bring different ideas and different resources to our table, who would increase our access to understanding complex, the complexities of the systems around us through different eyes. Um, and if we're able to do that as systematically as we prepare monetarily for the rainy day, mm-hmm. we would find that we are substantially just like these communities that are studied extensively in the academic literature, the ones that have in a cultural investment in the social fabric of their communities, they're happier people. They're, they're more diversified in what they're capable of doing and they're immeasurably more resilient to the changes that life throws at them, their communities and so forth. Right. Yeah. And I think as men, we're still living in this, um, very admirable, um, myth of the lone wolf where I can take care of myself. Thank you very much. And, and that is respectable and everybody should be in a position that they can do that yet realizing just I, this is going to sound douchey to say, and I hope I hope the, the, you and the listeners can take this uh, with the, with with its in, in, intended meaning. When I went into this field of studies, I thought I knew more than I did. Mm-hmm. 
But the one thing that I, I, I'm not in, I wasn't incorrect about going into it is that I am nowhere near as smart as I'd like to believe that I am, and therefore nowhere near as capable. And so I need to be surrounding myself with people who bring other chips to that poker table, right? Yeah. And so, but I need to be able to speak with them. I need to understand their field enough to recognize where they're carrying valuable assets that could be brought and how can they be incorporated in a way that really makes sense to them. And, and that managing crisis on a global scale on a national scale, on a regional scale, on a community scale, on an individual, individual home and person scale, it comes down to really your social capital. How many times? Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I really like, and I, and, I, and I wasn't expecting this to go, but go this direction. But it, it, it just occurred to me, you know, when when you said when you're talking about what you do in your profession, right? where your job is to look at different people in their fields and their area of expertise, and then take whatever that scenario, the situation, the crisis is, and kind of pick that the the specific all-star team that is necessary to handle that. Right. It's like, that's really cool, man. That's a, what what I think it is. I think it is. What a noble effort. And like, what a really just super interesting concept. And then, to take that on a, on a large global scale, right? But it's the same process on our own personal scale, where it's like, okay, well, I, I can't I can't pick and choose the world leaders and the leading people in this field and that field to to come together and form my A team. But what I can do is look around my sphere, and maybe I need to extend beyond my immediate, you know stone throw distance to find, to find people. But man, I can start selecting for, for some of the things that I may need and and building the social capital that you're talking about. And I think that that's a, it's a really cool concept that I think is often overlooked. We, we kind of just fall into this, I don't want to say trap, but I think it's more so just a, a complacency thing where it's like, well, our friends are the people that are just kind of like, I don't know, Bob works at the cubicle next to me. So of course, you know, he's my best yeah. friend, right? Because I moved away from my hometown and none of my, I don't, don't hang out with any of the dudes I used to chill in high school with. And and so I, I don't think we're taught how to actually build communities. You're not really taught how to make friends um, in meaningful relationships. And that's not saying that you got to put everyone through this weird um, tryout. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, not, man, you, you didn't, your 40 time wasn't fast enough. You can't be on, you can't <laughs> be on right. my apartment squad, bro. You're, you're that's not a good right. shot. But, you know, man, we, we only get one life, man. We might as well spend it with people that, that, man, enrich it in some way, not just, not just necessarily out of convenience. And I think that's where a lot of people settle. They're like, well, you know, man, my, my cousin, I mean, he's my cousin. I don't really like him that much, but we're related. So, you know, and he just lives right down the street and he's got a couple buddies. So yeah, we just go and we drink beer on Saturday night and we're like, well, yeah. That might be okay, but but maybe it is. Yeah, I, I can't see I can't see anything wrong with that either. I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> but I mean, I think that I think what 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 I see um, for for you know the savage gentleman concept that you're that you're that you that you're you're laying out um, 
with the people that are your community that's contributing to the building of this community, because that's really what's happening, um, is the notion that like everybody likes to laugh. I mean, I like hanging out with people who I can just goof off with, right? But is that actually, well, it is. I mean, it is turning me into not the Dr. Douchebag that I can get into when I'm in my, you know, stressed out. There's too much going on for me to manage. So, you know, that, that state, and we've all got our versions of that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that challenge, that challenge you in the way you're thinking, um, that force you to consider expanding the bounds of your rationality so you can make better decisions, right? Um, and so you can understand, even, even if you want to talk about entertainment, right? Having fun, going out for a good laugh, going for, going for a, you know, a pint with the, with the boys or whatever, right? Being able to include people that will bring different views, even if they're just entertaining views, for you to see this world in a different way. Because I talk to a lot of people We've got about, on, on the particular project that I'm working with, we're directly responsible for about a thousand people. I know that because of some of the, uh, the COVID things that are going on, we're going to lose at least 150 of those um, because of the, the mandates that are, that are being imposed upon them. And, and, uh, and as much as I can, can try to, I can try to control that impact, um, it's very much out of my hands. And, uh, and so when I'm looking at, you know, this thousand people that are, that are there, when I talk with this, you know, the ones that will talk about why, you know, what is their motives and that sort of thing, I realize that there's on both ends of that spectrum, there's an echo chamber that's occurring. Mm. And I mean, Don Lemon from CNN spoke it very well. He said, we're told that we're not supposed to shame these people. We're told that they're, that we can't call them dumb. I say we can, and we should, and they are. Um, see, the, the problem with that sort of mentality is that you're denying somebody else's bounded rationality. And on the flip side of that coin, for someone who is contrary to the vaccine, um, the vaccine issue, mandates, whatever, for them to refer back to the other people and say, well, you're, you're just cheap. You just do whatever you're told is again denying their bounded rationality there's there's some there's some real decision making that's going on both sides of that equation and all the gray areas in between and for us to to just back away and say well i'm right and you're wrong prevents people from really learning and growing and building those bridges of understanding that will in fact be the ones that are going to get us through whatever this actually is right yeah regardless of what you believe it is right and uh, it, it, it's tough because, you know, we, we can look at people. It's so easy to see someone of the of the opposite belief or understanding, right? Wherever you are on the spectrum, just be like, and just completely write them off. Like, well, you're hopeless. If, if you believe that Trump was the best president ever, you're hopeless. If you believe that Joe Biden is the greatest president that America has ever seen, you're, you're an idiot. Yeah. Right? And, and. And maybe, and I don't know, maybe people who are on both ends of the spectrum, they actually are idiots. I don't know. I mean, maybe, could be. maybe, maybe could be. intelligent people are the ones that are somewhere in between and can recognize the pros and cons of both. I don't know. Um, I, I guess time will tell, right? But, but, but it's super easy to just be like, well, I know what I believe and I'm a pretty smart guy and you're on the opposite end of that. So clearly 
by default, you must be an idiot. It's, it's, you must be stupid. You must be stupid, right? right? That's the only logical yeah. ex- explanation. But I think this, this idea of bounded rationality, um, for me, and, and, and I think I've spoken about this elsewhere or, or on a, I don't remember where I talked about it, but, um, uh, but I got it from a friend of mine who his thesis is, well, people should just start the conversation with what they're afraid of. Tell me what you're, what you're afraid of. And then now I understand why you, I am terrified that this virus is going to kill me or a loved one. I am mortally afraid of dying. Oh, well, no wonder you're, you know, the first in line to get this thing, right? And on the flip side of that coin, the flip side I'm of that coin. of having all of my liberties stripped away from me and, and plunged and never get them back into a communist, you know, regime. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and no, for a guy who's for a guy who's lived that for for people who have lived that, that's a terrifying concept. Sure, I mean it, right? it should strike fear. I, On I both, think. and and I'm not referring I'm not referring to one side or the other, but someone who has lived severe illness, someone who has lived government tyranny, those two things are existential. Um, they're existential crises that they do not want to relive, and and they're they're things that people can relate to very easily. And so, so yeah, that's, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating thought. That's yeah, a fascinating I mean, it, way because it would, it would save us a lot of time if you just, you know, upon making an introduction, right? The first time meeting someone, you just tell them what you're super afraid of. And then it's like, oh, okay, well now. Well, I told you, uh, Hey, we, we started well with this. I told you what I was concerned about. Yeah. You remember being Dr. Douchebag, afraid of being Dr. Douchebag because Hey, it can't happen. It can't happen. People have those tendencies, and I'm aware that that happens. Yeah, and and, and so well, so 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 bringing bringing this thing kind of hopefully full circle. I don't know if that'll ever happen. We could, I mean, we could probably go on for three more hours. Um, I don't know if anyone would be listening at that point, but I do, <laughs> I, do I do want to give some things for for folks to walk away with. I mean, there's there's so many really good nuggets in here, but. This, this, so we've got, we've got a crisis, right? And we have people that are on opposite ends of the same crises. We're going through a crisis and people are interpreted in completely different ways, right? So how, how should, if we are, you know, going to try and navigate through this and we need to communicate through this crisis, because this is a big part of, of your study um, and in the scope of your work. What is the way that we need to be communicating through, throughout a crisis to actually net the best um, result? And, and, and I don't mean the best result for ourselves, which I think is what we're seeing right now by the people who are communicating the crisis. I, 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 I don't think I have to go very far out on a limb here to say that the way this crisis has been communicated to the general public has been fairly self-serving. Um, to the people that are that are doing the communicating. I don't think that makes me super tinfoil hat. Some people might agree. Some people are like, no, this has been great. I, they have done I think everything we, that they can for my benefit. They are only here to help me personally and my family. They have my best interest. I, maybe I'm, maybe like I said, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe there are I, those people who believe that. Maybe it's actually true. I don't know, but I don't buy it. Yeah, I think, I, I think you've got an interesting point there. Um, I do... What's interesting is in any crisis, there's 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 a bell curve. Like in just about everything, there's a bell curve. 
there's people who are very quick to happily um, do whatever their their leaders, the people in power, whatever um, would say is the best solution for them. They're, they're, they're happy to do that. They, they recognize in time of crisis, the decision-making capabilities of individuals because of the stress and the different hormones that go along with that and chemicals that are running through a system makes it very difficult for us to really contemplate very many moving factors at a given time. I mean, anybody who's a, uh, who's a, uh, in law enforcement or military will understand this better than, than most. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who's been in a car accident understands this for, that, for those short moments. Everything slows down, but your, your scope of view and your ability to really think through things um, becomes so focused on what's happening that your, your ability to widen that view becomes difficult. So a lot of people, when they get in, yeah, that's right. Can't process. So when people are in crisis, they go, I need somebody here to give me the solution because I know I can't find it. There's those people on the other end of that spectrum. There's people that will say, no way, man, you get out of my business. You're full of crap. Um, I, you know, everything that you say, you outsider, you government person, Anything you say is garbage because I know I've had personal, you know, personal experiences with them that they screwed me over. What have you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the bulk of the, the bulk of the people lie in the middle. When you're looking at managing a, a crisis from a a larger crisis, now we can bring this now we can bring this down to a to a a more granular level, level to a family scope, uh, you know, your 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 community or even yourself. It, it applies. Um, the first thing that, that we need to understand is the way we communicate with each, with each other either builds or dis, or destroys those ties of social capital that will determine how, how well we come out of this, right? Okay. And there's a number of principles that have, excuse the, 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 the sensationalism, but it's fact. Um, we're talking about crisis management. Crisis communication rules have, in essence, been written in what, what works and what doesn't work, um, what what doesn't work, and what does work have been pretty solidly understood, mm-hmm. and they get broken down in a few simple kind of little saying. One is the three C's. The three C's are what you must base all of your messaging on, and that doesn't just include what a government official says about a particular health crisis or or political or economic. It applies to the way we interact with people. When people are in stress, you must be concise, you must be consistent, and you must be compassionate. Mm. Those are the three C's. And you going on concise, they, this, all of the scientific studies where they're putting electrodes on people and letting them watch, listen to messages and watch images, and they're measuring their cortisol levels and their perspiration and their heartbeat and all that sort of stuff uh, um, shows that we're when we're in a normal p- position we can handle quite a quite a lot of information coming at us at one once and we can pr- process a lot we can process up to nine to eleven bits of information at a given time when we go into crisis that number diminishes rapidly to a maximum of three bits of information three individual concepts Mm-hmm. But our attention span also is minimized substantially to about nine seconds wow. per byte of information. So there's a rule. It's called the 2793 rule. Basically meaning when you communicate with somebody 
in, in, in crisis, be you a government person, be you a, a healthcare person, be you a crisis responder, um, a first responder, mm-hmm. it is essential that you use first those three C's to govern your next step. And your next step is finding a maximum of three items of information to relate to that person. And you cannot use any more than nine seconds to deliver each item. And a total of 27 seconds is all you're going to get of that person's attention before they won't process anymore. Hang on, hang on. That 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 can't be right because I'm pretty sure we have a 24-hour news stream that is constantly giving us all the information all the time in as much detail as possible. And sometimes they're not really consistent because one day they'll say one thing and then the next day they'll say something different and then they maybe they come back. And so this this whole 3C, this this 2793 rule can't be true because I mean no one is using it in the world today. So why um it is extensively used. It is extensively used in the field of crisis management. Um extensively. The problem is what we've got running this show um, are politicians mm-hmm. who, who recognize that screen time, face time with their electors represents probable electability, mm-hmm. right? Um, electability for most circumstances equals income. And equals, equals income. That's right. It's their job. I mean, a, a politician has two jobs. A politician has two jobs. One before they're elected and one after they're elected. Mm. The one before they're elected is to get elected. The one after they're elected is to ensure their reelectability or at least very minimum their party's reelectability. And so the focus of a politician is not action because action implies accountability. A politician's role is to create favorable optics that lead towards reelectability. That's what their job is once they're elected. Now, so what, what's, what's going on is that these rules of communication, which includes one more, there's lots, there, there's a few more, but I'm, I'm just going through the basic written in blood rules. The last one is never speak in absolutes. <laughs> and, and this is a rule that we've seen absolutely violated. The conciseness. Obliterated. Obliterated. Not, just, not even just COVID in almost anything and everything. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I cannot think of a time where a politician or or any talking head for that matter, because I and I kind of put, you know, a lot of the folks that are that are in positions of media and that sort of thing in a certain you know, pundits and, and, and that sort of thing. They only ever speak in absolutes. I can't think of a time where they're like, well, here's what we think. Here's our best guess. This is what we, and this is how we concluded that. But, you know, we're going to keep digging and, and hopefully find and, and make this a little bit more concrete. No, when they show up, when that camera gets turned on, the jury is out. We are done. It has been solved, and here it is. Take it and run with it. There was, a, yeah, it's it's true. There's a really interesting study on that note that was done. I want to say it was at Berkeley, actually, and I don't need to get into to, to who did it and, and why, but it's fascinating the outcome. The outcome shows that if you are a public official, a person in power, and you make a promise. Um, say, for exa- example, here in, in Canada, the, the prime minister, which is the equivalent of the president um, here in Canada, made a promise to the Canadian people that by July 4th, every Canadian would have access to the vaccine if they wanted. Right. Now, 
great promise. The problem there is it was a promise. He was speaking in absolutes. Absolutely, by July 4th, you will have these vaccines. The problem lies in two, two elements there. One, he has no control over that. There's so many factors in this complex system of where these vaccines are coming from. Are they, are, you know, supply chain issues going on, which is another discussion altogether. Um, for him to be absolutely certain that every Canadian, it's 34 million people, could have a vaccine on July 4th. It's a bold statement. Would be, it's a bold statement. And maybe it's doable. But the study showed that the measurability of trust in somebody in that position, if they deliver on the 5th, is, is undermined as much as if they had delivered on August the 5th or July 4th the following year. There's no difference in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the amount, the, the level of the public perception of the trust is undermined. And so they have to play a, um, a PR game of bolstering themselves back into the position that they lost. Instead of simply saying, speaking in correct crisis communications terms, and this applies to an individual, we are aiming and putting the best resources we have to get the vaccine ready for all Canadians by July 4th. It's a goal. It's not a fact. Yeah. If you get there on the 3rd, you're a hero. If you get there on the 5th, you haven't lost any credibility. So that begs the question, then why would someone who is, you know, conceivably of above average intelligence, why would they, why would they run that? Why would they take that risk and take that gamble? Um, it, it just seems like a poor calculation it, to, to my feeble mind. I, I, I think what it is, and this is my thought, um, it may be very well wrong. Um, but what I think it is, is it's, it, it's a reflection of the society in which we live in now. Um, the selfie society, where the, the this narcissistic tendency that drives the selfie society um, is putting our politicians in a position where they want to present themselves as the hero. Mm. And so it's driving them to not do what you would hope a, a person um, approaching the, the, the process of resolving a, a crisis would do. And that is assuming that they have the answers that they can push their power to to make things happen the way they think they should instead it was rever- uh, deferring to people who know more about the situation than they do and allowing those people to take to take the stage um the selfie the selfie culture that we live in would make it very difficult i think these are my thoughts um would make it very difficult for a public figure politician who got themselves there as a public figure to take that back seat and say, you know what? Share the spotlight with this person knows more. And this is the reason why we have the, the, um, the celebrity of the Fauci's of the, the, the Trump's of the Obama, the, you know, these people are as much celebrities as they are public, um, public leaders. Sure. And, and I'm not, I'm not, saying anything negative or positive about uh, about them or their policies and just saying that there is a tendency for this culture to want to see that individual that face be the solution maker Mm -hmm. when they do not have the training they do not have the expertise 
to really make those statements and, and don't want them to, to lose the initial face of walking up and saying, look, guys, this is I don't we don't know what's going on. Guys, this is we fun. know there's I'm an sorry. issue. I don't know what's going on, but it's really bad. We're, yeah. look, there's some stuff that went down in China. Uh, no one knows what it is, but we're, we're exactly gonna figure it out. So just, you know, maybe stay inside for a couple of days while we figure it out. And as soon as we get it you know, sorted, we'll let you know and go from and, there. And that's that's the thing is concise, consistent and compassionate. Right. Never speaking in uh, in absolutes and um, and using the 27, the 27, three, nine rule. If you just use those rules in your in your communications at times of crisis and can incorporate them in how you deal with people, you put yourself in a position where, as a global leader, you say exactly what you said. It says, "Look, we don't know what this is, and that's okay. We've got some smart people here. This is this guy here, and he's working in this area. This is this guy here, and he's working in this area. And this is their team, and they and and they're working to understand what's going on. And 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 the science is going to evolve because we we don't understand it." But as it evolves, I I hope that you, my people, my electors, my, you know, whatever will understand that we will communicate concisely and consistently and compassionately. We will not make absolutes. We will, will not make absolute uh, statements. And we're going to keep things short so we don't bombard you with so much information that you get confused. And when you get confused, you get scared because you don't know the decision to make. When people get scared, they either go into that sheep mode, give me the, give me the solution, or they go into the antagonistic resistant mode where people are pushed from that, that, that bell part of the curve to the outer limits of it. Yeah. You're, you're basically pushed off that cliff at the top of the bell curve and dropped down into the valley. And and now you're stuck on this one side or the other. And I think that is, Unfortunately, that those are the voices that we're hearing that are the loudest. You know, I, I think that the the two extremes of the bell curve on the, you know, however you want to define it, the positive or negative, the left or the right or whatever. Um, those are the people that are shouting the loudest. And, and, and I, I'd like to believe that the bulk of the individuals are somewhere in the middle and, and are a little bit more rational about things. Um, that, that's my, like, I don't know, my, my, my sheer optimism, but looking at pretty much any system, any statistics that that is generally the distribution. I mean, if you have a large enough population of, uh, and enough data points, you are almost always going to end up with some sort of a bell curve to that. And so I don't want to say that it has to be true, but I've got a pretty strong inkling. And so for those of us who are in the middle, um, I I think one thing that that is very useful is what you illuminated with this crisis process and understanding it's like, well, if someone isn't communicating in that way, if we know these are the basic tenets, right? You've got the, the three C's, be concise, be consistent and be compassionate. Okay. Well, if I'm running down my checklist, if I'm, you know, I've I've turned the TV on or I'm listening to someone and I'm like, X, well, you failed that test. Okay. And then we go into the the 2793 rule of how how concise it actually needs to be. And you're listening to a two hour long diatribe, right? Right. Then, okay, well, 
that's problematic as well. I think it's important that we recognize that. And then, and then our next question needs to be, okay, well, what are the motives? Why are these people deviating from the, the plan? Is it, is it nefarious? Is there, you know, is there, is there fuckery afoot? Are they, are they out to get me? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to interject something. There's always fuckery afoot. There's always fuckery afoot. Fair enough. The, que- the question is, is what to kind? what level is, what kind sure. of fuckery is afoot? There's, yeah, there's yeah, definitely career about? building. There's, there's career building. There's deals going on. We know this. This is not, this is not a surprise. It shouldn't be to anybody that, uh, that backroom deals are being made all the time. So there is no, fuckery no afoot. Way. No way. Stop. Yeah, it's, it's true. That, that's that, that I think I think I'm I think I've just turned in from 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 Dr. Douchebag into Captain Obvious. Did I just do that to you? <laughs> you might have. I don't know if that's a promotion or a demotion. Yeah, I mean I think it's definitely a promotion. Definitely a promotion. No, I mean people people are going to use their position to get some kind of personal gain and and mm-hmm. you know depending on the morality of said person that will determine how much they're willing to throw someone else under the bus in order to get that. And some people, not so much, but I mean, I, I'm going to do stuff that's going to help me out for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. There's yeah, a line I, that I, I cross that, you know, that, okay, man, that's kind of dirty. I'm not going to do that to this person. Cause I, I you know, have some. Yeah. And I think to some degree, what, what I've witnessed, what I've witnessed, um, is that everybody does have their price. Everybody sure. does. Um, fortunately, most of us never meet that price. Right. Um, and, and so we're able to to go through life with those lines. And so we should have lines in the sand drawn. Mm-hmm. You know, or we should, there should be boundaries that, that we will not cross. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're, uh, I, think, I think it's absolutely certain that there is fucker going on, but I don't think it's necessarily unique there might be a unique type of fuckery going on right now, but it's not unique to this particular period in history. No, um, no, no. Not, I mean, you look not at by any means. I mean, look. I mean, yeah, you look at Nixon. You look at yeah, you look at Nixon. You look at Clinton. You look at like all of all of these leaders within U.S. history happen to get caught in different flavors of fuckery, and and so it, it's. It, well, you can go back through since we started writing things down. I mean, it doesn't, this is not even unique to, you know, the U.S. It's not unique to the no. 21st century. This is, this is human nature, right? And, and so to just think that like, well, I don't know, man, that, that Fauci guy, there, there's no way he could have, you know what I mean? Or, and, I, and I'm picking on him because he's easy to pick on. Um, but you could pick literally. Yeah, he's a good. He's a clear target, right out in the open. Uh, he's easy right to get there. at. I, yeah. I mean, here, here's my litmus test, right? If I look at someone and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'd let that person babysit my kids. <laughs> that's that's my that's my trust. That that's circle my, gets pretty small pretty quick. <laughs> You know, so when I'm looking at people that I can trust and I, and I turn on the TV and I'm watching this particular person talk and I'm like, I, no, I don't, I don't know how I feel. And maybe that's not a great litmus test. Maybe there's people that I wouldn't trust with my kids, but they're excellent at whatever it is they need to be doing. And they're useful in that thing. But that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of my thing. I look at them, hey man, I'm not, I'm not leaving my kid alone in a room with you. Sorry. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of that, uh, 
my wife sends me these pictures of this uh, Photoshop artist. He's a graphic artist. And every time his wife asks him where, where the kids are, he like photoshops them into some stupid, like, you know, <laughs> hanging off of a balcony 50. Yeah. Like something like that. Right. They're fine. You know, that sort of thing. Fantastic. But uh, sorry, I digress. But, uh, no, no, no. but the, I, I think, I, I think, you know, the one thing that's most important for, for people to understand is that there is no consistency. There is no, um, there is no conciseness and there is no compassion um, in the communication. I was shocked when the, the equivalent of a Canadian, the, the Canadian equivalent of a governor in the province of Ontario, which is where uh, the capital city is, as well as Toronto. Um, he was talking about the last lockdowns that occurred, uh, stay-at-home orders, not just lockdowns, um, that occurred, I want to say it was in July and August. Um, yeah, I think it was in July and August. Um, and he, as he was leading up to them, he was messaging and he said, um, you know, I've done it. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I'm not taking anything off the table. Don't push me. Pretty and I thought, wow, that's you're about to force people to stay in their homes and not be allowed to go out for anything other than grocery shopping or to go to work if they go to an essential, if they're, they're classified as essential. The utter lack of compassion that was there put me the type of person I am, my, my go-to state is to fight. That's my go-to state. I have to reel that back in a lot. Like just when I was backing my boat in, there was some kid standing on the street looking at me, shaking my head. And I wasn't doing the greatest job of backing the thing up, but it wasn't that bad a job and it wasn't affecting him at all. And so my go-to was, you got a problem. Like what's going on? Right. And and, and I, I realized, you know, that was unnecessary. So I backed away and I said, look, man, I'm sorry if it sounded a little bit abrupt. I'm just curious. You're watching me do this as if there's something that is bothering you. If there's something going on out here, let me know so I can change what I'm doing. Right. But my go-to was smart ass little shit. I'm going to, you know, that's my go-to. Yep. And so when I hear somebody pushing, when I hear somebody being a smart ass, when I hear somebody disrespecting, that's my go-to. Mm-hmm. So back to, you know, crisis management. For our individual, for an individual to recognize what these communication rules are and when they're being violated, you need to understand. Like I had a conversation with a, with a young lady um, at work today. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't that kind of a conversation. That my, you know, mind you, I'm married, so that probably wouldn't have been a good wouldn't have been that a good outcome been, anyway. It would have been a bad yeah. crisis. Yeah, it would have been a crisis. But I was having a conversation with this young lady who was uh, who had decided she was going to get vaccinated. And I have, I have no control over um, what HR does uh, with those who are non-vaccinated and so forth. Um, but I certainly have an opportunity to speak with them because for the most part, they'll talk to me. Um, and I was, from an academic perspective, I was very curious why this young girl who had, you know, fresh out of school, um, got a really good job. She was extremely excited to be there and it was a, a meaningful position. And you could tell she loved it, why she was at the point of walking away from that job and why she changed. And, um, and what was interesting is that there, there, it, was, it was a conversation that happened. And I, I'm not going to condone nor, nor denigrate her decision. Um, I don't know fully whether she felt forced to do it or, or what. I can't say that for sure. But what was interesting is I wanted to understand why it was that she was the only person in her circle of friends 
and family that had chosen not to get vaccinated and had ridden right up to the line of losing her job, right? And, and here in, in Canada, it's not you get fired. It's not you get laid off. You get no um, unemployment benefits. You get no um, no severance pay. You are put on what's called an administrative leave, which means you're basically just left let go. Um, you can't you, in, in a lot of places you you can't claim your um, you can't claim your your holiday or your you know your bank holidays or your sick leave pay that sort of stuff. It's really quite it's quite mean hearted, really, if you ask me, right? Um, but that's what's going on. And, and so we were talking about it and, uh, and she said, you know, I just, I just couldn't trust what I was being told. And I said, well, why is it that you couldn't trust what you're being told? She said, well, one day they come out and they'd say this. And then the next day they come out and they'd say the exact opposite thing. And both times they would say that this is the decided science. The science is settled and this is with absolute certainty. And she goes, if they're absolutely certain the first time and then they turn and flip the coin the next day, why should I trust them the third time when they're telling me that I must get the vaccine or I'm a risk to society? They've lied to me all the way along and flipped their coin. How do I know that I'm going to get the vaccine and it's safe? And, and then tomorrow they're going to tell me, well, as a matter of fact, it's not tough for you. Oops. And I said, and I said, wow, that's really interesting. And her, like me, when she knows that there's fuckery about and that it affects her directly, the first thing she does is dig her heels in. Mm-hmm. It's some people are wired that way. I happen to be one of those people. For better or for worse. Sometimes it's been for better and sometimes it's for worse. Truthful. I mean, I think for for the sake of humanity, it is it is good that we have those people. And and not to say that everyone who digs their heels in is always right or righteous, and that every situation should be met with that. But imagine a world where no one ever Bucked the system for any reason whatsoever. Yeah, imagine, you're right. I mean, will you know a society where, hey, this is what some people came up with. Take it, deal with it, bend over, enjoy. Well, all, right? all of the greatest change, all of the greatest changers in in history have been rebels. They've been outcasts. They have been in a lot of cases uh, would have been classified as criminals, mm-hmm. right? Even in our days, they would have been classified as criminals, maybe more so. Um, what I'm getting at, though, is that if you recognize that your go-to place is to dig your heels in, or on the other hand, if you recognize that your go-to place when things start getting tense is to look for somebody else to solve the problems, and you can recognize that, and you start hearing these communications that are coming in and are confusing you, so causing you to flip one way or the other, and you recognize that it's there, you can separate yourself from that. I get, I dig my heels in and I get stubborn, even if I'm wrong. My wife will tell me that all the time. And most of the time she's right. Um, not all the time, but most of the time she's right. She's a very non-conflicted person. Um, I have no problems with conflict. Um, I don't look for it usually, but I don't have problems with it. Um, and so, so if I recognize that my tendency is to dig my heels in, when I think there's fuckery about, I need to consciously say, okay, I am being, we'll use that millennial term, I'm being triggered here to go into a space that is narrowing my options. My options went from, I can do whatever I want. I can comply, I can semi-comply, or I can fight it and lose my job and my house and all this sort of stuff. Um, 
if I back away from it, I can start looking at a greater range of options mm-hmm. for what I can do. The same for the person who wants to be, who wants to have the decisions made. That's, that's no more, no more healthy than yeah. me digging my heels in and being, you know, I, I've had to make, make a lot of pivots to be able to, 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 to work through this crisis as all of us have, right? Sure. Um, and if I simply said, I am resisting, I am taking my family and we're going up in the Northern woods and we're going to build a cabin and fuck everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I might have some kids that are a little unhappy right now. I yeah. certainly have a wife that's you unhappy might run right into now. Some problem. I mean, you might run into some much bigger problems as well. And I might not be really as really, really as good a woodsman as I'd like to think I am. Yeah. Well, going, going back to what you said, I, I'll borrow a, um, a tagline from a buddy of mine. I don't, I don't know if you know Ryan Mickler of Order of Band, but he's, he's, yeah, I don't know him personally, but I, okay. I know who he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know if this is his original statement. Uh, or if he got it from somewhere else, but it's where I heard it. But he he talks about this idea of um, either being reactive or responding, and there's a difference, right? And so mm-hmm. your action absolutely might be to dig your heels, right? And maybe that is the right thing. But if you can, if instead, if you can pull back just a little bit and look at, you can actually instead respond, which which you know. I think insinuates a little bit more that that's far, that's far better. Um, that's far better communicated than what I was trying to say. Okay. That, that is what I was trying to say, but far more eloquent in, in saying it. Um, well, I wish I was the one that came up with it, but I, I'm just, I'm getting well, we'll, we'll say that it was you and he stole me. it from you. How does that sound? That's right. That's right. Yes. Take <laughs> it to him. But the, your, your so, and that's it. And that's the thing, right? Is it, if you look at, if you look at yourself and realize, whoa, 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 I'm going into default mode here. I'm reacting. And by understanding why it is that you don't trust this guy that's talking to you, that's delivering a message. Why don't I, why don't I trust him? Well, there's some psychologically proven, written in blood, crisis communication rules that they're violating. They're, so badly, it's like they're doing it intentionally. Of course, I don't trust them. Right. Does that mean that they're not trustworthy? Maybe it could very well mean that. But if I immediately go to my default of either being compliant or being defiant, yes, then then I'm not responding. I'm reacting. Mm-hmm. And in order to in order to negotiate crisis on a personal or a larger scale, we need to be responding. Yeah, not I, reacting. I, I think that's a hundred percent. And, and, you know, for me personally, I look at this thing and I, I still hold some space where it's like, all right, I have my beliefs. I have my feelings on this thing, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't absolutely like, look, I'm not, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say like, I'm not a fan of the mass mandates. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of any mandates. Do whatever mm-hmm. the hell you want to, but don't mandate shit to me. Um, right. Is, is, is kind of my general stance. That being said, there is the possibility where this, you know, this vaccine thing could be the savior of mankind. I don't think so. I don't believe that deep down. But man, I'm not God and I don't know what the future right. would look like. So it is possible. But so far, what I have seen up into this point leads me to a certain set of beliefs. And those beliefs are going to um, color my response to how things are going. And I, and, and my Thing is, I want I want every I 
my hope is not that everyone thinks and believes exactly like I do and they make the same decision I that I made. But that's an easy know. place to be, but it's pretty dang boring, really. Yeah, to just, oh, all right, guys, yeah. I made the decision. You guys do that too, because I know everyone's circumstance is going to be different. My my thing and what I would like, you know, people listening and, 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 and everyone else is just to go through the process, you know, kind of look at what you said. Is your Is your reaction typically fight or flight? And if so, you know, recognize that. Are you doing that in the situation? Take a step back and now start looking at the the why before you actually respond. Okay, why did I do this way? And is this actually the the appropriate response? It may be, but it could also not be. So take that taking that second to, um, you know, to to show some self awareness and and um some critical thinking around what's happening as opposed to just. Nope, man, this guy's got a, you know, he's got a blue check mark next to his name. So fuck him and whatever. Yes. Or he's right. He's, he, he comes he, or he's got a red or he's got a red yeah. one. So this guy's an idiot. He's or he speaks with a southern accent or he speaks with a New York City accent. I mean, it's, totally. uh, yeah, I mean, it's the whole it thing, is, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really easy to, you know, or he speaks with a, or, or he speaks with a really fucked up Canadian slash uh, Latin American accent. Yeah, and, uh, we can't really tell what the fuck he is, right? No, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. This guy, I don't know. It's hard to trust Canadians, man. They, they yeah, well, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Yeah, totally shifty. That's um, right. You ever see the movie Canadian Bacon? I don't think so. The no. candy and um, what's his name? Oh, uh, John bunch. Candy movie. That's John old. Candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's an yeah, old yeah. one. We're talking eighties, but it, it, it's actually hysterical because it, it, they're all Canadian actors, the leads in them, and they are totally taking the piss uh, out of Canadian culture. Great. It's it's that's hysterical. Sick. They're running through like they're running through uh, the the crowds under the under the, the the CN Tower in Toronto, convinced that they're in the capital city and that the, the CN Tower is like kind of the hub of what's going on yeah. and these canadians are apologizing as they're like crushing to the to the ground and and breaking their bones i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry right yeah yeah it's terrible terrible people uh, but, I, I will uh, say you guys have a good you, you do have a good se- sense of humor about that you you take it on the chin pretty well sometimes well it, it, it's interesting i i i was born in canada i spent most of my life outside of canada mm-hmm. so i kind of come here as a as much of an outsider as I am, as you know, I carry a Canadian passport. Most people right. would look at me and, and assume that I'm just some, you know, Euro Canadian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. And, uh, and that's, that's fine, but it's, it's very interesting to be in my position to kind of observe from a little bit of a distance and be able to, to, to see the culture as it is. I've got very close ties to the U S as well. I've got family that, uh, that has lived there forever. My dad, my, you know, my dad is American. Um, and so it's, uh, it, I like to think it's a unique perspective on, uh, on, on the whole thing. And Canadians are funny people to yeah. laugh at and laugh with, and they'll do both at the same time. And, and, and I yeah. think that's, uh, I think that's healthy. I think there's some, there's some definite flaws in the society as well, but I think that can be said pretty, pretty solidly for everywhere. Yeah. Pick a number. I mean, yeah. Close your eyes and put, put your finger on the yeah, just and you'll find, you'll find, you'll find flaws. Yeah. That's human nature. But one thing I really do appreciate about you, Ryan, is is your unique perspective on on a lot of things. I mean, you you bring, you know, a lot of really cool insight that I think I know I don't, I'm not always privy to. So I'm really, you know, glad that I have someone like you that's kind of 
traveling in these circles, circles and, and giving these experiences and these perspectives, because I, I find it really helpful and, and fascinating. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the folks that have been hanging out with us today have, have gotten there as well. Um, and if not, well, sorry, this, then this well, was, fuck him. It was fun. I had yeah, fun. We had fun. I had this fun. Yeah. Well, I say, I, the one thing, the one thing I enjoy talking all the time, every time you and I have an interchange, whether it's by phone or, or what have you in person, um, I, I find that I kind of come away from that. I think that it's really that, that whole social, that, that, mm-hmm. that whole social capital thing. Um, you're a different man than I am. You have a different, uh, different view on things. You have different, uh, you have different, uh, um, strengths that you're bringing to the conversation and different concepts that, uh, that every time I walk away, I, you know, like that whole idea of respond versus react, very simple concept, but in three words, mm-hmm. um, you summarize something that I was trying to get out. And that's the value of the, of these social networks that you can build around yourself. And it's not just networks. It's not like Facebook, how many people, you know, it's the, the amount that, those people are willing to invest in you because you've invested in them. Yeah. That's social capital. And, and social capital only comes from a real interchange of ideas and respecting the fact that, dude, you're different than me. That's good. You should be. Mm-hmm. And as you're different, you're going to bring different concepts, different ways of looking at, the, at things. Even if I don't agree with them, I've still seen a different angle, seen something through a different lens that I've never considered before that widens my ability to make better decisions with the resources that I've got. Yeah. Right. So, and man, I, I think, I think the two biggest takeaways and, and, um, it's like for one, I'm missing my beard right now, man. That is big I, time. I'm big missing time. my beard too for the, for the people I know. That, are, that are watching. Um, you know, I, it, it came as a surprise to me because the last time I saw you, you were, you were very bearded, very much bearded. Yeah. I think your head was shaved. But you, you had Me, probably yeah. you had a pretty substantial um yeah, yeah. going on, man. It was nice. It was <laughs> yeah. But apparently, you know, that, duty calls even, even now it's been a good it's been a good geez, a good year since I've had to have it uh, had to have it off. And even now when I put my You're just wait yeah, you're like, oh I, I expect to I expect to find something here and uh, you know, it's still kind of you look at the jaw, like, where'd it go? Yeah. Honestly. Oh man, I, I don't know. I can't imagine looking at myself without a beard for as long as I've had this one. It would be, my kids have never seen me without a beard. Neither. Yeah. You freak them out real good. If you took oh, that off, man, I, I can't my, young, my youngest, my youngest wouldn't hug me for like, she was like <laughs> two. She wouldn't even go near me. She was terrified of me. It was great. It was great. I'm sure she's going to be talking. I'm sure she's going to be speaking to a therapist about some deep, dark abandonment yeah. issue that she'll, yeah. she'll have to go into hypnotherapy about to guaranteed. to figure out what, yeah, guaranteed. Where that's our job, so to, to screw them up, to screw them up, so they can spend the next uh, forty years of their life straight well, themselves out, to, right? I mean, it's hard to. We got to create some crisis for them, right? Like, right? You know, life isn't good right. without crisis, man. Yeah, life you, isn't good you, without crisis. How are you going to grow without some kind of crisis? So, yeah, you know, I think I think for folks, you know, who have who stuck it out this long, um, we've we've been on this thing for a while. This is a good one, um, but the, the, I think the basic tenets of crisis management is really. You know, understanding that not only for yourself, but but for disseminating information. And when when a crisis is being communicated to you, I think that looking for those things are are some important keystones. And when there's a lack of those, it might be it, it should probably raise a few red flags. 
Yeah, well, I, I also think there's one thing that I may I, I alluded to, but uh, but didn't didn't really get into the meat of, and it will okay. only just take a second because um, I, I I think that we're I'd love to continue the conversation, but I think I think we should uh, we should wrap it up. The the issue is that when we're talking about social capital, right? These investments that you've made in other people and the investments that they've made in you, they can be severed very quickly when people are are under strain. Mm. And so in those moments of strain, when you're communicating with those those social those those people that are part of your social capital. Mm-hmm. Um, to integrate those rules of crisis communication will prevent you from alienating certain people that would otherwise be valuable people to have within your circles and or making people who would otherwise be useful to you expect you to solve their problems too. Mm. No, that that's really good because that, I mean, that is the time when you need that social capital the most. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's imperative, it would seem, to, to make sure that you're doing everything that you yeah. can to uh, keep those bonds connected, uh, without, yeah. you know, and not sever them. So and the quickest, way to des- the quickest way to destroy them is forget those three principles. Mm-hmm. If you start making absolute out. promises, absolute promises, um, speaking in absolutes, uh, just to recap, sorry. Oh, I was just say just to recap what those are for for the people listening. Yeah, really the three C's. And the three C's of crisis communication are speak concisely, consistently, and with compassion. And tied to those, the conciseness is use the twenty-seven nine-three rule, and that is that you have twenty second twenty-seven seconds of their time, and at most you you can relay three bits of information, three ideas, which means that. You have about nine seconds per. And then when it comes to when it comes to consistency, never speak in absolutes. Don't ever say we will do this. Say we're going to work towards doing this. Looks like we could be able to do it. And this is our goal. And this is what we think. And this is where we think we're going. But once you start speaking in absolutes, your the trust and the confidence that people have, the people around you have in you is diminished when you can't deliver precisely, exactly in the scenario that, um, that you, that you laid out to them. And the problem with that is the outcome is never what you think it is. Right. And some people will look at it and think this, yeah. Complex systems, right? Exactly. Like like you said before, what we know of complex system is, man, it's never that simple. The the lever may not do what you think it's going to do. Yeah, and even if you do deliver what you what you think you set out to deliver, somebody who might be a vital component of your your social capital might not interpret it that as a completed promise. Mm-hmm. And so, by speaking in absolutes, you set yourself up for failure. By speaking in long worded things, kind of like I tend to do, um, in long in long winded uh, things, violating that twenty seven nine three rule. Um, you will lose people. You'll flood them, and they will either go into their digging, dig their heels in, or their "you need to solve my problems" group. Yeah, and then always compassion. People are suffering just as much. People are stressed out just as much as you are, and sometimes more, depending on the on on the, the headset that you have. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that though that those rules apply and have been clearly disregarded throughout this globally. There there is no there is no nation that I have seen in my studies that have abided by those rules. I, I don't even think closely. A one. No. Even not even not even remotely. And and because of that, there is a massive, 
amount of distrust and there's a massive amount of absolute compliance, which is those two ends of that, that, um, that bell curve. Pretty well not a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a good place to be, but it is where it is, and you don't want to create that same bifurcation of those people that are part of your social capital in the time of crisis, whatever it might be. You know, it, losing a job or 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 having a relationship breakdown or getting in a car accident or you know what have you. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, no, but uh, man, the, I, I think that's fantastic. I mean, we. We definitely violated those rules all to smithereens. The, yeah, it was great, huh? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But we're but we're 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 not we're, we're not, not communicating. Right we're not in crisis. I don't feel in crisis. I've been having a great time. So fantastic. Uh, so yeah, Absolutely. I mean, um, we we we'd be in bad shape if this was a crisis. To, we're we're talking about uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, two so hours. I, I don't. You don't do the social media thing, so there's not really. Do you have anything to plug if people want to connect with you or check out what you're doing? I, I'd, I'd love to, you know, send people to you if, if that's something you would like. I feel like you're kind of flying under the radar, though. I, I, I have to be flying under the radar right now. And uh, and even even this, we had some significant conversation before this about how we need to keep this um, um, under um, yeah. a radar. There's a I lot think, of sensitivities in the organizations I'm working with. Yeah, there, there's some there's some things that, you know, man, depending on how, what you say and how you say it could have some serious repercussions nowadays. Right. And, um, you know, I think that the savage gentleman needs to be needs to be aware of, of their position and their situation. And look, you know, some people can say whatever they want whenever they want. And that's perfectly fine. And we need those savages out there. Some people need to be a little bit more tactful um, for the grand scheme of things. And I think, you know, that, that a bit of strategery is, can go a long way. I don't, I don't see that as being like, Oh man, you guys just tiptoed around the issues like a bunch of. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like, different for, it's different tiptoeing around the issues versus respecting different agreements that, uh, that, uh, you know, proprietary agreements and that sort of thing that uh, not to mention security, uh, security issues and that sort of thing. So to, to, to broadcast what, organizations I'm working with and, and so forth. I think, I think it, it, it's unnecessary to get into my political views or in this particular, cause I, I have them. I clearly do. Yeah. And, um, and, and you and I have had discussions about what they are. Um, but I don't think it's necessary that we get into them now. Um, I, I will, I, I will continue to fly under the radar for probably the next, uh, the next little while. Um, I'll pop up. I'd love to pop up again with Savage Gentlemen. Uh, you guys are great to talk to. I, I, every time I come away, I feel like uh, I feel like I've, you know, uh, I've come away with something that I hadn't considered before, and that's always worth. That it's always a worthwhile conversation. Um, your audience um, ha- has always been a, a a cool audience to engage with. When I was uh, when I was working with you guys as a moderator on your, uh, your Facebook page, I enjoyed that quite a lot in the league. Yeah. And, uh, but I will be emerging, um, in the not too distant future, um, with a few projects that, uh, I think, uh, I think might be of value to, uh, to, uh, to, savage, to the savage gentleman out there. Um, and certainly, certainly I'd like to think that they might be of interest, um, if not of value as well. Mm. And so we can talk about that later, but right now I just, I, I just, Wanted to have the opportunity to chat with you about uh, about this this time of crisis that people are going through, whether um, 
uh, whatever the nature it might be. Um, I don't know if uh, my words have, uh, have been of any assistance to anybody, but uh, it's certainly, uh, certainly the sort of thing that I, I think a lot of people are wondering why there's so much inconsistency um, and, and why it is that there's so much distrust. Uh, and, and if there's, if I've been able to, to bring any clarity, um, as much as there is ability to find clarity in it, which is right. kind of a funny scenario, but if, if that's a, you know, it, it, it's great. That's, that's all I, I was, you know, hoping to, to pull away from this. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you absolutely did. I mean, you definitely did for me. And I think, I think a lot of people will, will find this useful and, and, you know, when you're ready to, um, come, come back out into the light and, you know, get a breath of air or I guess maybe swim a little bit further downstream is probably maybe a better analogy. If you're ready, it might, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a rest. I'll tell you. Wow. It'll be a rest. Get back in the shit water with the rest of us. Um, you're, you're always welcome, you know, (laughs) back into the league. Um, you can, you can get looking forward to that day. I'll tell you, I am looking forward to that day. (laughs) Awesome. uh, Well, Ryan really appreciate it, buddy. Um, I know we'll be talking again soon. So, Man, take care and and until then, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man. Stay savage. See you later.